Hi everyone, good morning. My name is Alex and I'm the student minister here at Andover Baptist Church. And it's a real privilege to be speaking to you all today and to be starting this very new, this brand new series called Storylines. Just having a slight problem with technology this morning, but anyway. So today I'm gonna to be kickstarting this series and the first storyline that we're looking at today is all about God's promises. So I want to start, as I often do, by asking us all a question this morning. And the question is this. How many promises have you made in your life already? How many promises have you made in your life? Perhaps that will depend on how old you are. I wonder how many of those promises have you kept? It's quite difficult, isn't it? It's probably too many promises to even try and count. Now, promises can be easy to say, can't they? But they can be difficult to keep. They can be easy to say, but difficult to keep. And as I was thinking about this earlier in the week, I realized how many promises I must have made in my life. And the truth is, I must have broken many of them, especially when I was a child. I used to say things like, I would promise to do my homework on time. I'd promise to clean my room if I could just watch TV a little bit longer. <laughs> I know there's some parents in the room here today. I said that I would promise to tell the truth even when I was in trouble. But the truth is that sometimes we make a promise with very little intention of keeping it, don't we? And it could be because that promise doesn't really mean very much to us. Or it could be that the consequence of breaking that promise may not be very serious. But other times we can make promises which are heartfelt, promises that we are committed to, that we care deeply about, and yet they can still be difficult to keep. When I was at primary school, I had a best friend called Alice. And we'd known each other actually right from preschool and we were now in our first years of school together. We just got on so well and we did absolutely everything together. I remember that our teachers used to have to force us not to sit next to each other in class because we literally were always together. And I remember us saying to each other that we would be best friends forever. And I guess we made a sort of pact or a promise, even though we were only about five years old at the time. But this seemed really important, really significant to me. And I felt utterly committed to this promise that we were going to be best friends forever. And in addition to making this sort of verbal playground agreement, one of us, I can't remember which one actually, bought this amazing gift. Clearly we didn't, it was our parents who bought it. But this gift was a set of two necklaces. And on each necklace was half a silver heart. And on one side of the heart, there was a little engraved bear on it and the word best. And the other half of the heart had another little bear engraved on it and the word friends. And when these two pieces were joined together, they made this beautiful silver heart with two little bears hugging each other and the, word, the words best friends above them. It's a little bit like the picture that will come up in a moment. I remember being over the moon with this gift. 
I thought it was just wonderful. It felt like a really important symbol of our friendship. And it brought me real joy and real hope that we really would be best friends forever because now I had the necklace to prove it. And I don't doubt that our intentions as two five-year-old little girls were anything other than genuine. And this strong friendship did in fact continue through the rest of our junior school years and into secondary school. However, just a year or so into secondary school, my best friend gave me some news that would change everything. She told me that she was going to be moving schools. And this actually was because my best friend was a really talented ballerina. So she had been accepted to train at the Royal Ballet School in London, which was fantastic. And it was an incredible opportunity for her. However, I was devastated, as you might imagine, because no longer would we not be at the same school together, but she was going to be moving away and I wouldn't get to see her that often. But nonetheless, we were determined to keep our promise. We wanted to remain best friends and we wanted to keep our commitment. So in the first few years, when she'd gone off to train in London, we used to write letters to each other and we'd still see each other in school holidays. But over time, communication died down and we each moved on to make other friends and our lives went in different directions and we sadly lost touch altogether. But I do still have my half of the necklace. And I have it here today. You may not be able to see it. I've lost the necklace, but I still have the little pendant. I still have this half of a broken silver heart. And as I've reflected on this, I think there's something really significant to it. But I'm going to come back to that a little bit later on. Because first, I want us just to think for a moment about this idea of making promises. Why do we make promises? Why are they important? If you think about it, promises are a really big part of life, aren't they? Promises can come in many forms. They're not just verbal agreements. It's not just something that we say to someone. Actually, they often take the form of a legal kind of contractual agreement, something that confirms our commitment to something or someone. And usually when we think about this language of contracts, they involve a sort of penalty, don't they, if we break them? I'm sure most of us are familiar with this, especially the adults in the room. I wonder how many contractual agreements you have in your life right now. It could be a workplace agreement, it could be a job contract, it could be something to do with a relationship like marriage, adoption or guardianship. It could be other types of contracts, for example, mortgage agreements, rental agreements. The list could go on. I dare to think how many bits of paper I've signed in my life right now that are binding for things that I have agreed to or committed to. And most of these do have some form of penalty or clause in place in case we break them. And that's because at the heart of any promise or contract is this idea of commitment. And when we make a promise or we enter into a contractual agreement, we are essentially pledging our commitment. And as we all know, don't we, often in life, it's not enough just to say that we are committed, not to just make that verbal promise, because a verbal promise can be easy to break. So we end up having to sign contracts, don't we? We end up having to make agreements that are legally binding. 
And whilst this idea of a contract can seem quite formal and unemotional, actually there is always a relational element to it because it always involves two or more parties. And the reason that commitment is so important, the reason that we do sign contracts is because without commitment, a relationship cannot thrive. Without commitment, a relationship cannot thrive. It breaks down, doesn't it? But <laughs> commitment isn't always easy. We find incredible examples of this in the Bible. Because in fact, one of the central themes is that of promises. Right from the very beginning, when God created the universe and he made humanity, his desire was to be in relationship with us. God invited people to partner with him. But this partnership requires commitment from both sides. And so the story that we find, and we can read through the pages of the Old Testament part of the Bible, tell of how people were repeatedly unable to keep their commitment to God. They were unable to keep their side of the partnership. And actually the relationship between God and humankind is constantly breaking down. What I think is interesting, however, from reading these stories is that God doesn't actually stop making promises to people, to his people. He doesn't give up. And actually, some of God's promises are unconditional. For example, he promised a man called Abraham, who lived around 4,000 years ago, that his offspring would become a great nation through whom God would reveal himself to the world. Some of God's promises were conditional. For example, when he gave 10 commandments to a man called Moses, who was the leader of this great nation that God had promised to Abraham, a nation that we know and we call the, as the nation of Israel. These commandments were part of a larger system of rules that would help the people to flourish in their relationship with God. The only problem was that the people could not keep the rules and they kept breaking them and they, kept, and they turned away from God altogether. So from God's perspective, this storyline of promises is not a happy tale. It's one actually in which God experiences repeated heartbreak as he watches his people, his children, continually walk away from him, break their commitment time and time again. And actually the underlying message of this storyline is that people cannot keep their promises, especially to God. And this theme actually repeats itself over hundreds of years, thousands of years, in fact, um, as I've mentioned, that's covered in the Old Testament part of the Bible. And I would say that God is really very patient because he keeps giving his people opportunities to come back to him, to turn back and to renew their relationship, renew their commitment to him. And I think there's a really good reason that God perseveres. Because when God makes a promise, it is everlasting. When God makes a promise, it is everlasting. He is utterly committed to being in relationship with us. But you might have guessed this already, there is a problem, isn't there? Because it's become evident that people cannot keep their promises. They cannot keep committed to this relationship. 
but God's commitment remains. So, what is God to do? I wonder what you think God should do in this situation. Should he keep giving his people opportunities to come back to him and then break that commitment over and over again? Should he just give up on us altogether? Well, no, God doesn't give up. Instead, he does something utterly remarkable. In fact, something that only God can do. He makes a new type of promise, a final promise to humanity, actually, because it's one that doesn't rely on our ability to keep our side of the deal. Remember, God has witnessed this type of contract fail over thousands of years. So God decides he's going to make a new promise, a new contract. And it's not with humanity. It's with himself. God decides to step in. And so he comes to earth in human flesh, in the form of Jesus, in the person of Jesus, his son. And it's Jesus who steps in on our behalf. And he fulfills the commitment to God that humanity is unable to keep. And in doing so, he's able to reconcile God and people to heal and restore that broken relationship. And this commitment, this promise, represents a new type of contract. In the Bible, it's referred to as the new covenant. It's a bit of a kind of old word, isn't it? But another word for covenant is testament, which is why we have the Old Testament and the New Testament parts of the Bible, the old and new promises, as you will. So in this new contract, this new covenant, there's something really interesting because it cannot be broken In a letter that we find in the New Testament part of the Bible, a letter called Hebrews, the author likens this new promise to that of a will. Let's read what it says. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. And now that he has died, a ransom... Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Now this can be difficult to get our heads around. I have wrestled with this text all week, in fact. But essentially, what I think it is saying is that Jesus has made this new promise, this new covenant that will ensure an eternal inheritance for God's people. Sounds simple, doesn't it? However, it's not quite as simple as that. It's not quite as simple as God just making up a new agreement and doing away with the old altogether. Because as mentioned already, most promises and most contracts have consequences when they are broken, don't they? And actually the consequence, in simple terms, of people breaking their commitment to God is that they cannot be in relationship with God forever because the relational contract has been broken. And actually, it goes a bit deeper than that, because people have actually turned away from God in their hearts. This is something that we can understand as sin. And they've actually forfeited the right to have eternal life in God's presence. And the opposite of eternal life is death. And so death is the penalty of breaking the agreement pretty serious, isn't it? 
So in order for Jesus to make this new promise, this new covenant on our behalf, he has to first pay the penalty of the old covenant, that old agreement that's been broken by humanity. And this is ultimately why Jesus came to earth, so he could be the perfect person, that he could restore that broken covenant, that he would pay the price, which was death. It was death on a cross. And I think when we, this is just a remarkable fact, but God didn't take the easy way, did he? He is God after all. Why couldn't he just get rid of that old agreement that had been broken? Why couldn't he just start again? Well, I think it's because God is a committed God. He doesn't break his promises. His promises are everlasting. So he did what only God can do. And he stepped in to fulfill both sides of the deal. To fulfill that old contract in the person of Jesus so that he could make this new promise, this new covenant with his people. One that could not be broken. And this is why the author of Hebrews, the text we were just looking at, describes this new promise as a will. Actually, the passage goes on to clarify that in the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it because a will is in force only when somebody has died. It never takes effect whilst the one who uh, made it is living. So in dying, Jesus not only pays the price for our broken promises, but he paves the way for this new promise. And this is how it functions like a will. Jesus, which is actually God himself, has paid that price. He's experienced death so that we don't have to. And because of this, because he has died, his will is now in effect. And guess whose names are written in that will? The will of God. Well, it's your names and it's my name. Because, the name, because this will is made out to all humanity. And the inheritance of this will, well, it's everything, everything that belongs to God will be ours. And we will get to be in perfect relationship with God forever. This is how God always intended it to be. And that's why it's called an eternal inheritance. I think that's just incredible, isn't it? Just to think on that for a moment. And we've done nothing to earn this. We've done nothing to deserve this inheritance. And all you have to do to receive your inheritance from God is to claim it, is to receive it. In other words, to believe, to have faith. To believe that God has made a way for you. To believe that Jesus died on your behalf so that you could be in relationship with God and inherit eternal life. And the best part of it all is that the relationship with God starts now. Starts here on earth. And it starts by just accepting Jesus into our lives and choosing to follow him. You know, I may still have my half of this best friend necklace. I have this half a broken silver heart with an engraved bear in the word friends on it. And this reminds me of my inability to keep 
a promise. This reminds me of how we as people can struggle to keep our promises no matter how committed we intend to be. But I also have another necklace, and it's one that I have been wearing ever since I became a Christian. And it's not a necklace that comes in two parts, because on it is a single silver cross. And this reminds me of God's promise to me. This reminds me of God's promise to humanity, a promise that he fulfilled through his son, Jesus. And it reminds me of the price that Jesus paid to ensure that our eternal inheritance was secure. And it reminds me that my name is in God's will. I don't know where you find yourself today. Maybe this idea of keeping promises is painful for you. Maybe you've broken promises in the past and that's difficult to deal with. Maybe people have let you down by breaking their promises to you. Maybe because you've been let down, you find it hard to trust God. You find it hard to believe that he really won't let you down and that he will keep his promise to you. So wherever you are on your journey of faith, I just want to ask you all today, are you willing to take a next step? Are you willing to put your trust in God and believe that he is a God who never breaks his promises? He will never break his promise to you. And if you haven't yet come forward to claim your inheritance and to receive the gift that Jesus died to give you, that gift of eternal life, I really want to invite you today to take a step of faith and to get to know Jesus for yourself and to accept him into your heart. So let's pray together. Loving God, I just want to give you thanks today for your word and for your message. Lord, you know where each of us are right now. You know the condition of our hearts. Maybe for some of us, our hearts are broken. We've been let down. We've been hurt by others, hurt by ourselves. And we may find it hard to trust you. So God, I just pray by your Holy Spirit now, you will just bring your love and your healing. You will speak to each of us, Lord, and remind us that you're the God who never breaks his promises to us. I just pray for anyone who might want to take that step today to get to know Jesus, to accept Jesus into their lives, Lord. Just pray that your spirit is with them now. And that they will enter into that relationship for the very first time. And know that they have that inheritance of eternal life. That their name is in your will. Lord, just fill us with your love, we pray. Amen.